You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The Winti Group is interested in Hong Kong protesters. The UK, the US and the EU all look for a cooperative way forward into 5G. DDoS for hire hits an independent Serbian media outlet. Ransomware may have hit a U.S. defense contractor. Evil Core is back. The Sodinokibi ransomware gang is running an essay contest. And the 2015 Ashley Madison breach keeps on giving in the form of blackmail. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, January 31st, 2020. The Winti Group, for some time associated with the Chinese government and previously best known for financially motivated attacks and industrial espionage, has turned its attention to Hong Kong. Security firm ESET reports finding that Winti is using its eponymous Trojan to drop the shadow pad back door into machines at five Hong Kong universities. The apparent purpose of the extensive campaign is to collect intelligence on protests of the mainland's role in the city. ShadowPad has many modules well adapted to collection. One of them, for example, is a keylogger. The universities have been prominent in the protests over the now-withdrawn extradition law promulgated last year, and the security services have an obvious interest in keeping a close eye on them. ESET says it notified the universities of what its researchers found. The U.S. has welcomed the EU's decision on 5G network security, seeing it as amounting to European acknowledgement of the unacceptable risks untrusted suppliers bring. U.S. Secretary of State Pompeo said in a statement, quote, We call on our European allies and partners to implement the EU recommendations by adopting strong risk-based security measures that exclude high-risk suppliers from all parts of their 5G networks. The statement twice mentions what makes a supplier high-risk. They are companies based in third countries that lack democratic checks and balances, and the EU has recommended that such suppliers should face restrictions that others don't. The Secretary of State also notes with gratification that the European Union's toolbox calls upon EU member states to exclude high-risk suppliers from critical and sensitive parts of their 5G networks, which includes the radio access network. How to use the tools in the EU's 5G security toolbox is up to the member states, 
but they'll at least have to report to the EU on what they're doing. German security officials have expressed unease over evidence the U.S. has provided that supports the contention that Huawei is engaged in espionage. But Har-Guillaume Poupard, who directs France's cybersecurity agency ANSI, told Bloomberg that as far as he was concerned, he hadn't seen any smoking guns. Maybe elsewhere, but not in Europe, he said. Still, French authorities have taken good care to keep Huawei away from Airbus headquarters in Toulouse. Italy's industry undersecretary, Mirella Luisi, said this week that Italy wouldn't prevent Huawei or ZTE from trying to play a role in Italy's 5G networks, that it wouldn't keep them from the doorstep, but that they would exercise due caution. Britain's confidence in its ability to exercise its own version of due caution rests on the work of the Huawei Cybersecurity Evaluation Center, the HCSEC, a 40-person unit in Banbury, vetted by GCHQ that's charged with checking Huawei equipment for security issues before permitting it into the country's networks. The HCSEC has been in operation for almost six years. Its facility is a Huawei facility overseen by an NCSC-chaired board whose members are drawn from other elements of the British government. The vice chair is a Huawei executive appointed by the company. The oversight board reports annually. Its last report, rendered in March of 2019, found that the HCSEC was for the most part able to operate independently of Huawei, but some of its other conclusions were less encouraging, such as this final one. Quote, Overall, the Oversight Board can only provide limited assurance that all risks to UK national security from Huawei's involvement in the UK's critical networks can be sufficiently mitigated long-term. Quote, Computing reports that Secretary of State Pompeo is also confident the U.S. and U.K. will reach a mutually satisfactory understanding over Huawei. The British policy announced this week will exclude Huawei from core elements of the 5G network, which would presumably include the critical networks the Huawei Oversight Board alluded to in its last annual report. It will also cap the company's participation in the remainder at 35%. The website of Serbian independent media outlet TVN1 has been disabled by distributed denial-of-service attacks this week, possibly DDoS for hire purchased from operators in China. The attacks come, says Balkan Insight, during a squabble with state-owned media over broadcast rights. But apart from some rumbling about a general hostility to independent media, observers fall short of accusing Serbian state media with putting out a hit on TVN1. Electronic Warfare Associates, or EWA, a Virginia-based U.S. defense contractor, has been hit with a Ryuk ransomware attack, ZDNet reports. Four sites associated with the company are said to have been affected. EWA has so far offered no comment on the reports, ZDNet says, and the scope of the incident remains unclear. Bleeping Computer reports that Microsoft has seen a resurgence of the evil core cyber gang, Fishing with malicious Excel files. Digital Shadows says that the Sodinokibi ransomware crew is offering a $15,000 prize for the best essay on a hacking topic. The researchers leave open the question of whether this represents a serious sharing of expertise or just threat actor showboating. Showboating or not, we can't recommend that you compete, friends. Best leave this one alone. And finally, while the guilty flee when no one pursues, we saw recently in the case of a completely bogus sextortion scam that had absolutely nothing on the victims, 
Sometimes the guilty do indeed have pursuers. Remember Ashley Madison? The adultery facilitation site whose advertising slogan was, and still may be, we wouldn't know because we don't hang out in those neighborhoods, life is short, have an affair? Well, they were breached back in 2015, and the effects of that breach are being felt anew. Researchers at Vade Security have found data stolen in the 2015 Ashley Madison breach resurfacing in highly specific blackmail attempts against former customers of the online networking service. The shakedown notes that Vade offers for your consideration are long. They're filled with hideous all-too-human details on credit card transactions, interests the user checked when they signed up for Ashley Madison, even notes on the chemical mail assistance products the user purchased. We're not sure either what chemical mail assistance products are, such things not being our bag, but it doesn't sound like the kind of thing you'd like discussed around the water cooler at work. The blackmail is clever in that the ransom demand is contained in a password-protected PDF attached to the email, the better to make it past filters. So, the lesson here would seem to be that while life may indeed be short, illicit pleasures are far more fleeting, but shame and guilt can last a lifetime. Unless, of course, you're shameless, in which case the blackmail won't matter much. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the VP of Research at Terbium Labs. Emily, it is great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch base today about some things that I know you all are tracking when it comes to uh, account takeovers and this whole notion of access as a service. What can you share with us today? Sure. Happy to be back. So one of the things that we're tracking here, that we've been tracking for a while, is the way that 
services are developing in criminal marketplaces. We're all familiar with account takeover. We know that credentials are being sold and marketed for fraudsters to then go take over accounts themselves. But there's something that's been developing over the last couple of years and, and over the past few months in particular that I'm thinking of as access as a service. So instead of having mm. credentials to go take over an account yourself, for example, a vendor might offer what is essentially a, a value-added service of saying, hey, what are you trying to do? Can I do that for you? Can I get you there with some additional benefits or resources that I have on my end so you can enjoy all of the fruits of the labor without taking on the risk yourself. Hmm. Can you give me an example? So this is largely, currently at least, around travel or hospitality brands. So you could think about transportation companies or perhaps hotels, for example. Say you want to stay at a hotel and you want to have all of the benefits of someone who's been staying at that hotel for 20 years and has the points and the tiered access and, you know, the platinum diamond, you know, whatever you want to call it, tier of access. Right. This would give you an opportunity to book a stay with them or perhaps book some sort of travel using all of those benefits and points and tiered status without having to for example, take over an account that has those, someone else is going to take care of that for you. I would still be able to book it as myself, but then someone else would have a, a bank of stolen points or whatever those sorts of benefits are that they would apply to my stay, for example? That's one example. There are a few different ways it can manifest depending on the vendor, but it could be that they're going to bump up your account for you and maybe that they're going to book a stay using somebody else's legitimate points. You know, this gets into really interesting questions mm -hmm. about the development of the insider threat model, or is this a question of the malicious actor having ongoing access and is just trying to cause some havoc? It's a really interesting development. It's something that I'm planning on keeping an eye on. What does this say in terms of the maturation of the market here, that these things are available as a service? One, I think it's interesting to see what sort of brands are appearing for these kinds of services. You know, what sort of brands that have points or status or, you know, loyalty rewards are then trickling over, are then generating demand in these criminal communities. We've seen it for a long time with things like beauty brands that have points, but then airlines and hotels are a natural next step. So then what comes after that, right? What, wh where is this going to go? And I think that's a really interesting mm. angle. The other angle here is what other areas are vendors going to take on additional risk to offer a value-added service to their fraud consumers? How does this fit into the maturation of the overall fraud economy and not just the account takeover or account access wing of fraud? I'm curious to see where this goes. Yeah, it's interesting how the it seems like the barriers to entry continue to be lowered. To be lowered, I think, not only in the the classic criminal communities as we might consider them, the ones that are on the dark web or in the deep web, but also as we see this kind of, this fraud demand, this fraud marketing spill over into things like social media, how does that impact your buyer base? If you have previously had a buyer base that's primarily cyber criminals on cyber criminal forums who are of a type, who are used to engaging in this kind of activity, if you then take that and make it available to people who are in a Facebook group or perhaps are on Twitter, is somebody going to be interested in dipping their toe into some of these, what may seem like 
victimless or sort of low-level frauds to say, yeah, I want access to stream that TV show. Who am I harming? You know, how does that begin to Hmm. open up demand from a different part of the market? And are there people who are going to see this and say, yeah, you know, actually, if I can travel first class and I'm not going to get caught, which is a big question mark, maybe I'll try that. (laughs) Uh, And so I, I think... I think we have a lot to watch play out here. Yeah. All right. Well, Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Michael Sutton. He's founder of Stone Mill Ventures, a venture capital firm primarily focused on cybersecurity companies at the seed stage. Our conversation focuses on what kinds of things someone in his position likes to see and hear from prospective startups, as well as some of the pitfalls to avoid. I think it's a target-rich environment right now. There's a lot of money flowing in. Cyber remains hot. It's tough to rise above the noise in that there are a lot of startups out there, but there is money to be had and, and good entrepreneurs can actually be selective and make sure that they find the right investors. But what sort of recommendations do you have for people to make the most of that time that they do have with you? Sure. I think it's important to, um, you know, feel, by all means, like talk to that entity up front, you know, you could be pitching to a lot of different uh, people. It could be an angel group. It could be a VC. It could be a family office. And they're all going to want to see things a different way. Um, so understand, you know, hey, what is my time frame? How many people am I speaking to? Who is going to be in the room? What is their background and expertise? And do your own background research. Like I'd say, one mistake that I often see when I when I'm pitched to like I have a technical background you know I, I spent the majority of my career uh, building security solutions so don't spend three slides telling me why security is a problem I fully understand mm-hmm. that let's let's save that time and you know use it for something else whereas that those three slides may be very important if you're going into say a family office that doesn't necessarily have a deep background in security so. Do your research, understand who you're speaking to, and tailor your deck accordingly. You don't have to just have one deck. Do people get second chances if, if I come in front of you and I'm, I'm not uh, fully prepared or I make some mistakes? Uh, is it pretty much a, a one-and-done affair, or is there opportunities to come back? Certainly for me, there is. Like most investors, I, I invest in a relatively small subset of what is originally pitched to me. But I generally don't say you know, you're not the right guy for me. No, no need to talk further. That's not generally how it ends. It, it's me providing them with feedback to say, Hey, this isn't right for me, or it's not right for me at this time. And here's why. And, you know, here's the things that would make me be interested. It is pretty common that I talk to people six months later. And sometimes I do have a different opinion at that point. Mm-hmm. 
What sort of advice do you have for these folks who are who are hopeful in terms of you know, the best things that they can do in their preparation? They're they're putting together their package for you. What are some of the top recommendations you have for them? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of stuff online in terms of draft or template pitch decks. So you want to spend some time looking at good pitch decks and talk to fellow entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, no doubt, especially in the security community. You're going to be rub elbows with people who have been successful and have gone on to raise capital and build strong companies and talk to them. Say, hey, you know, how, how did you go through this process? You know, it, it's a friendly community and don't be shy to reach out and, and talk to people and, and you know, get feedback um, because, yeah, that that and, and your pitch deck is not done. You should spend far more time than you realize narrowing it down. You don't want it big. I mean, hey, if it's five slides and you're able to capture everything, fantastic. That's really hard to do. But if you can pull it off, you probably put an awful lot of thought into it. But yeah, look look at what has succeeded. Get advice from other people. How much does does someone's um, personality play into this? In other words, does it ever come to pass that someone comes in front of you with a just an absolutely fantastic idea, but you just can't get past the fact that there's you know there's something about them that puts you you know ill at ease. Well, I'll answer from two angles. Like, it absolutely is important that you develop some kind of rapport because back to the trust issue, like this is somebody that I'm entrusting with my money. But also, like for me, I like to be a very active investor. You know, I don't want to just make my investment and walk away. I want to make sure that I'm always available to them, helping them out, whether that's as a board member, an advisory capacity, or I'm just, you know, on their speed dial. So that for me is a really important part of the investment decision that this is somebody that I enjoy working with and, you know, I just enjoy spending time with them. Some investors may not feel as strongly because they're not um, necessarily an active investor, but at the same time, and, and I think that this is true, especially in the security community where you have some very brilliant technical people that may not be great public speakers, maybe they're not the best at giving a pitch. But for me, I'm okay with that. You know, it's not, you know, I'm focused more on the content and I'll probably, if they piqued my interest, I'll probably have to spend time with them after that pitch meeting to dig a little deeper and get, you know, some of the insights that maybe I would have normally uh, wanted to get just directly from that pitch meeting. But, but I'm okay with that. You know, I don't, I don't think people should shy away from this just because giving a pitch in front of people isn't necessarily their thing. We're used to that. That was Michael Sutton from Stone Mill Ventures. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 